What's up everybody, it's John Morgan. Listen, I wanna to come to y'all and tell y'all right now where you can go and get your LYP merch, www.lypp.org. That's where you can get all the fly crew necks like the one I got on right now. You're gonna get your hoodies, your hats, any type of product that we selling at LYP, you have to go to the website to get it. You can't go to Amazon or no, no third party company to get our products. You gotta to go to www.lypp.org right now to get all of this latest stuff lyp you can also get information on the pod new information on the episodes that we got dropping anything lyp related go to that website right now lypp.org peace Since you a um an educator mm-hmm. and like you in the field, mm-hmm. it just make me it's so it's so nostalgia for me because like when I used to work with my kids in the school, when I used to like do like meditation activities with them and mm-hmm. shit, right? I would always play this song. And like they would be like, I'm talking about like kindergartners, first and second graders. They really didn't really understand what mm-hmm. the song was about. But I would ask them, like, what's that song about? Just about loving yourself, mm-hmm. like, you know what I'm saying? But they, the, they would get the gist of the mm-hmm. record, and it would, st- it would help them, you know what I'm saying, complete the, complete the activity. But it was just like, you know, every, every so often I miss it, but. Mm-hmm. That's not to say you still can't, like, get back or be a part of it in some capacity. Well, that's what, you know, that's what the podcast is about, is because yeah. it's like, you know, it still allows me to, like, serve just in different capacity. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, like, you know, um, because, again, man, I was I was planning my exit the entire time, so I have always told my kids that I was, that I had this podcast, what it was about. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it just, it just allows me to serve in a different capacity. But that schoolwork is... Ain't nothing like that. Nothing like it. Yeah, ain't, nothing, ain't nothing like it. Well, listen, come on, let's let's go ahead and get started. Make sure my phone on airplane and all that. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Live Your Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, John Morgan Jr. Listen, before we even get into who our wonderful guest is for today, um, I just want to say thank y'all. You know, thank you to all the constant support that we've been getting. We over that uh, that 50 episode mark, you know, so that's a, a testament to the team's consistency and just, you know, staying, um, staying down with the vision and, you know, having dope conversations with dope guests, man. And the guests who've been, you know, giving me their time and their energy to, you know, sit down with me and allow us to grow this thing. You know, I shout out to y'all and I appreciate y'all and everybody who supports it. Much love to y'all. I'm super excited to, um, to have this individual who we got with us today um, because we were just having a conversation off mic. And it's one of those things that, like, if you know, you know. And, you know, for those who do know prior to, you know, being a full-time entrepreneur and, you know, taking LYP to what we've been doing in in this space, um, I was a social worker. And I worked primarily in elementary schools, junior high schools, high schools. And um, I loved that work. And that's exactly what it was. It it was work. and I'm so glad to be having a conversation with somebody, man, who who embodies, you know, what that what that work was all about. We got we got Miss Jasmine Williams in in, in the in the building. Um, let me give y'all a little intro. Who 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 Jasmine is? Um, can I say the school name? 
Yeah, you can say the school name. Okay, all right, all right. We got, we got Ms. Jasmine Williams. She's the Upper Elm Dean of Students. Um, she's also an entrepreneur and a content creator where she shares strategies centered in advocacy, wellness, where she amplifies the stories of educating in the inner city. That's yes, dope. Yes. Thank you. How you doing? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for you know sitting down with me and you know coming yeah, coming no, kicking with me. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on 50 episodes. Thank you. I pre- yes, appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate. It. I think um I've had I've had conversations with um with like some school psychologists and mm-hmm. other psychologists who do work within the field, yeah. but you were my first person who it's been in the education yeah. space as well, you know. So I'm yeah, excited to no, have you because I've been yeah. I've been tr- I've been trying to get some other people that I know to come in here, but I get it, you know. It's 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 a process getting into here, and you know, it's it's not always easy sharing the stuff that you know you know right. that we um experience. So I, I appreciate you coming coming through. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So let's listen. I want to start a little bit with you in in the beginning. Okay. Um. Who is Jasmine? Like, tell me a little bit about just, like, childhood dynamics. Like, what it was like for you growing up, your, you know, mother and father, your siblings. Like, tell me a little bit about Jasmine. Yeah, so um, I would say I come from a lot of um, sacrifice, respectfully, um, but a lot of of sacrifice. Uh, I was born to a mother who had me early, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, you know, a teen mom, and so... My grandmother and my grandfather played a very intricate detail mm-hmm. um, the village. in my life. Yeah, the village for sure. Mm-hmm. And so because of that sacrifice and just, you know, the raw truth of sh- struggle and having to work for something, um, education was really introduced to me as like a privilege. Mm. Um, like it was the ticket. You know, you needed that to get out of this type yeah, of yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so I always had the perspective of like... Um, this is worth something. Like, mm. I have a privilege to be learning. Um, my grandmother took me to the library, um, you know, in the summers, and I had book reports, and I remember thinking it was trash. <laughs> um, but just, uh, but also later being thankful because, um, yeah, I valued it. So there were times, because she planted that early seed, that I didn't struggle um, academically, I'll say I didn't struggle. Yeah, yeah. Um, but a lot of social things did come with being born to a teenage mom, um, you know, respectfully, a lot of animosity in the crib because, you know, I wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't the time yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that came with a lot of um, stress, just a lot of unique experiences that one doesn't typically go through having a two-parent household. And so um, school was my safe haven. Mm. Um, I looked forward to going to school. That was my world, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it was education really from early on was just something that was um, valued, um, you know, and then like later, fast forward a little bit, um, my sister and I are eight years apart. So I always joke with her, like, you were my first student for real, because <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a parent to you, but I definitely had my hand involved. Right. Um, and it's one of my favorite students. I value that, what she taught me. And so, um, yeah, just a lot of my childhood and those dynamics, um, like the age, just everything really set the stage, um, you know, for, for where I am now. Yeah. No, shout out, shout out to those. There's something about them siblings that's mm-hmm. eight years older, man. <laughs> my, I got a, I got an older sister that's eight years older than me oh, as okay. well. So you and can she, relate. What? She played a huge <laughs> part in just like 
you know, when mom wasn't there, when mom was working, my sister was mom, yeah, you know what I'm yeah. saying? And that's kind of how she even still views me today. I'm a foot and a half taller than her, but I'm still a little bro, you feel Absolutely. me? Absolutely. Listen, when Absolutely. you when you reflect back, you know, on, on those times you speak of, you know, the sacrifice, mm-hmm. being an adult now, you know, being a mother now, like, how do you, how do you view view it today? What's, how do you, what's your synopsis of just, like, growing up? Um, you know, looking back on it, I didn't realize how difficult uh, it really was and how uh, poised my grandparents were mm. of, like, keeping it together. I think that they did a really good job of keeping, like, a child in a child's place, um, especially now that I'm older and I see the issues with that. Not so much of, like, oh, you don't need to know, but, like, you don't have the mental capacity to carry all of that. To be exposed to everything. To be exposed to all of that. Um, And so looking back on it, I think they did a really nice job of, I know I knew there was a struggle that was there, but I knew there was hope that was there too. And I think there's a lot of students that I come across at least um, born with the same type of cards as as myself who don't realize that there's hope. And so that's really what I'm trying to make sure that if you don't know anything, know that you have a way out. Mm -hmm. Because that is what I think really saved me. Like you have options. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's <laughs> you speak you speaking so many facts. You know what I'm saying about the um, first off the the importance of 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 having um, great grandparents. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in in that village. You know, and people. You know, who are um, not only helping with the children, but helping the adults. You know, and mm-hmm. who are like you said, teen teen mothers and teen parents as well. You know, who still children children themselves and just yeah. doing a lot of things to protect. And when we kids, we not always, we don't always understand, uh-huh. you know, the depths that adults have gone through to protect us and ultimately, you know, do things to help us survive. Right. You, you know what I'm saying? So that's, so that's super real, you know what I'm saying, that, that, that you speak of. Uh-huh. Um, listen, we, um, we are still in a pandemic. We've been in a pandemic for two, two and a half years, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And. It's looking like it's never going to end. We're just going to adjust to the pandemic being being yeah, what it is. The new right. I know for myself, I've learned a hell of a lot about myself um, these last two years. Like I'm going, to, it's going to be one of those things that, like, ten years from now, I'm gonna look back on when the pandemic started and how those next two years unfolded, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna look back at like those were transformative years for me. Yeah. And I know when I have conversations with people in general that like the pandemic has been a staple for for a lot of people for just a lot of self-reflection and a lot of growth. Yes. So, like, what have you learned about yourself mentally and spiritually, you know what I'm saying, just mm-hmm. about about Jasmine, specifically, like, due to the pandemic, the stillness, the change? Yes, um, a lot. <laughs> I've learned, <laughs> I would say I've learned a lot um, because, like, while it was also the pandemic, I had the unique experience of becoming a mother mm-hmm. two weeks before the pandemic started. Oh, you got, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I, got, I had my little boy yeah. a week after the pandemic okay, started. Right. So you understand that like I c- couldn't quite associate what I was going through with like being a new parent or the pandemic or both. Um, Talk about it. So it was trying for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the isolation piece, because like, you know, I'm an educator, so mm-hmm. I talk all day. I'm with kids all day long, <laughs> teachers all day. Yeah. So to go from that much noise to that much silence was like, uh, it took a lot to adjust to, I'll say. But I think if I had to say the main thing I've learned, um, is to really, I've learned really what mental health is. Mm. 
I think a lot of people talk about mental health because it's such a buzzword and it's right, so, right, right. you know, protect your mental health. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. But, like, no one's really doing the work. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody's really getting to the bottom of, like, why you are responding the way you are or feeling the way you are. And so um, I had no choice because it had the responsibility. Now I'm a mother. <laughs> now I'm an example um, to something that matters in a different way than mm-hmm. my students. And so, um, yeah, it really taught me to prioritize um, my mental health and honor what I'm feeling, like uh, honor those boundaries because they're necessary. And I think that because I'm able to really understand my own mental health, I've been able to like bring that back to my school and like let them know that what you're feeling is valid. I'm real affirming in a way that's not like cliche, but like intentional of like, no, if I was you, I'd be mad too. Like, no, you have a right to be irritated right now. Like Mm -hmm. I say those type of things because, um, you will be at war with yourself and that'll be what really is paralyzing you. Because prior to the pandemic, there was a lot that I wanted to do that I told myself I wasn't ready for. And I think um, I had to get to the bottom of that self-talk. And so it's hard to really set the time aside to do that because life moves so fast. But then voila, the pandemic hit and it really just slowed it down. So was it a combination of the stillness and the motherhood that, you know, made you want to be intentional about doing your own work and doing doing, doing your own healing? Because, like, listen, you talking about having a baby a week prior. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm getting ready to have my second child. I can can 100% admit I had no idea what postpartum was, any any of that. So to, you know, to be in the house and be in a relationship, you know, with a woman, that's part of the process is postpartum and like having no idea really what that looks like. I learned a hell of a lot, you know, just from being right there with my wife. And I couldn't imagine what that was like being a mom with a newborn, Mm -hmm. teaching kids, Mm -hmm. trying to get back to school, trying to understand what school is going to be like. (laughs) Yes. Right. Right. Having to relearn my career. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That was also a thing. Right. Um, yeah, but it was it was tough. It was tough. Like, the first six months of it was very difficult. Um, but then there was a point, I would say, maybe mm, seven months, eight months into the pandemic, um, where I was just excited to be back in the work because I had been gone. I had been on maternity leave, and then the pandemic hit, and so I never, I didn't get to go back. Um, so I really, really missed it. And so I would say after a year into the pandemic, I realized that, oh, no, this is a game changer. Like, the mm. pandemic was a, a win for me in a way of, like, I'm about to trailblaze all of this. Yeah. Like, you can't tell me how to do it because you didn't do it. Right. <laughs> I did, though. And so I used that to my advantage for sure. So is that is that how creating content and just, like, the urban mm-hmm. educator and everything, is that how everything kind of came about was due to the pandemic? It was solidified. Like, I really found my lane. Before, it was just an idea on mm. paper. mm like, it was just like... What you mean? Why was it solidified? Um, because I would say during the pandemic was really when I started to, like, do it. Mm. It wasn't just talking about what I wanted to do. It was like, I'm about to do it. <laughs> and just, I went for it. And I also found a really good community with Black Girls Teach, um, which completely altered my life. The connections that I made with Black Girls Teach. And so that community, combined with that time that I had... What's Black Girls Teach? Break that down for me. Black Girls Teach um, is a platform that was started on Instagram okay. um, by Deidre Fogarty. She is um, amazing. Um, and so it's essentially a community of black women educators um, that are fighting for like advocacy, equity, 
um, and just like really liberation for our people. Like it's a group of educators who are truly doing the work. And so she hosts things like a whole bunch of um, professional development sessions. Um, I've actually got to run a couple uh, professional development sessions under her platform, uh, which was dope. Um, but yeah, she's just doing real work on a larger scale because she's like um, nationwide. But um, yeah, so with teachers, um, administrators, just a community, really. Dope. Mm-hmm. Who were your, um, re- reflecting back on it, who were some of your earliest, you know, influences, just like creators and, and entrepreneurships? Maybe you didn't even know it back then, but now you you seem like, oh, no, I was inspired by this person. You know what? If I... Or did you not have them? I did. I wasn't aware. Right, right, right. Um, I did, though. And I didn't really have any uh, people in my family, like, that were inspiring creatively, Respectfully, um, I was more inspired by their work ethic, but so the creative piece I would say came a little bit later. I can't necessarily put my finger on the creative side, but I can say if I look back on what I was inspired with, my stepdad was a basketball coach, and I would always be at his practices with mm. him after school, and I loved it. Mm. Um, I I wanted to go to his practices. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that type of leadership. Um, is instilled in me with my teachers. I'm their okay. coach, not their boss. I'm like not that. anybody's boss. Like that. Um, but, um, yeah, so I was inspired by my stepdad, who was a coach. Um, my mom, I would say my mother creatively, too. She's a photographer, so there's oh, a creative very, lens with that. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> you, I look at her all the time, so it's hard to, you know, as, as you. I'm saying it now, it's coming to me nah, from my mother, too. You know, I, I understand that completely because my mother... My, my mother passed away in in the pandemic. Wow. Yeah, literally on, on her Rest birthday, June 29th wow. of 2020. Wow. In the pandemic. So remember when I told you it was just a domino effect yes. of a bunch of stuff that happened for me. Wow. That solidified me doing this work today. But I'm sorry. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but my mother was very creative. Mm-hmm. I didn't always realize it was creative. She was just fly. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? She mm-hmm. got dressed like... Like it was not like you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying she just put mm-hmm. shit on like it was just yeah, that was just yeah, what yeah, she yeah. did you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying but I wasn't able to put the connection that you know she's creative you know what I'm yeah. saying she had a, a gift and a skill of being able to see things and put them together yeah. at a at a high level you know what I'm saying right, so creativity right. is one of them things that like it's a spectrum yeah hundred hundred percent um so I completely I completely get that um what were your dreams as a kid. <laughs> to be a teacher. Really? Mm-hmm. For real? Yeah, I swear. And I, I hate it when I have to say it because it's true. So, so. Um, like, literally, like, I remember, um, like, putting my dolls up, like, like they're in the seating charts and, like, giving them name tags. Like, I remember <laughs> one Christmas, my parents, my, my mother and my grandparents. When I say parents, I'm embodying those yeah, yeah, three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but my parents bought me a, um, a whiteboard. You couldn't tell me nothing. <laughs> you couldn't tell me nothing with that whiteboard. Okay, okay. Um, and that was a thing at the time. Whiteboards, you know, at that time, it was a thing. 100%. I was, I was, it was going. So yeah, because it was, it was chalkboards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the yeah. whiteboard was different. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I've always wanted to be a teacher, and I feel like that comes like twofold. Like I always wanted to knew, I always knew what I wanted to do, um, and like what got placed on me. But I will say. I never had a lot of rebuttal to that because I didn't really get a lot of other options. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of just like, it's like either that or a doctor. So, I'll, you know. Listen, I, I'm going to, when um, I'm, a, I'm a, a mental health advocate, like, like you said, I know a lot of us talk men, that mental health stuff, but 
a lot of us don't really talk about the work that it comes with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm an advocate for therapy. I've been going to therapy, couples counseling, mm-hmm. all, all of it. I'm an advocate for all of it. Yeah. Um, one of my earliest therapy sessions that I was having with my therapist, and I was just talking to her a little bit about, like, you know, some of the stressors that I was experiencing at work, you know, work working mm-hmm. in the field mm-hmm. shit. Mm-hmm. And um, I was laughing. I was like... How the hell did I, you know, even get myself into this type of like what what like why would I even do this to myself type yeah. of thing? And she laughed and she was like, um, she said, John, you know, uh, you know, we don't just coincidentally find ourselves in this work. You know, we've had life experiences mm-hmm. that, you know, um ultimately propel us to being in this work and ultimately have us to serve. Right. So what she really was telling me is like, bro, the stuff that you've been through. Mm-hmm. It has made you, you know, transition into this work and want to serve it, serve oh, in this yes. way. So tell me, like, I, I heard somebody say, they said, instead of asking people, like, you know, what do you do? Ask people what happened to you. So, like, mm-hmm. what was your experiences that led you to wanting to do this work? Because you said that, like, your dreams was always to be a teacher. But I'm mm-hmm. sure that there was something subconsciously in you that said, you know what, I want to help. I want to give. I want to do something. Like, what was your, what was your experiences that led you into doing this work? Okay, so <laughs> now that's a deep, a deep question. question, right? I know, yeah. I know, I know, I know. It's a deep question. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how deep to get it out. Um, as comfortable as you want to. Okay, okay. It's a Live Your um, Purpose podcast, so I'm going to ask you to be honest. Yeah, I'll be honest. And it's, um, and it's, and it's a safe space. Okay, it is. Um, I would say middle school was very difficult for me. Um, sixth grade... Seventh grade was rough. Eighth grade too, but the difference are rough. Sixth grade, seventh grade, I was fighting a lot. Like I was real angry. Um, I was always ready, like um, in a way that was very defensive and sad. Um, at that time, you look at it like it's a badge of honor, mm-hmm. like that proves mm-hmm. your blackness or something. Mm-hmm. But um, it was really a cry for help, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, yeah. Just going through a lot, just really low. Um, and like I said, you know, I was growing up with my mother. Um, and so that just came. That just comes with is, is experiences. I'll call them experiences, not challenges. So I just had just very unique experiences. And middle school was very, very difficult. Um, and so middle school was so difficult that my freshman year, I got sent to this all-white <laughs> high school. And it was like a culture shock. Like, it was... It, it, I was so uncomfortable, and I had never been that uncomfortable. I had never even felt that, like what that was. Um, and I remember also being, while I did get in a lot of trouble, my grades were always good. Like, my grades were good. I was solid. But when I went to that white school, that Catholic school, I had to fight for a C or a B. Like, I was trying my hardest, and I was never quite an A student um, there. Um, and I also just experienced racism. That's the first time that I can name racism um, that I went through. Um, and so I think my middle school experience and then going to that white school my freshman year. And I'm saying white school because it was a predominantly white school, right. not lack of, like, no disrespect. It was just what it was. It, w- it is was, what it is. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. It was a white school. Yeah. There were three um, black kids. Two of them were black. One was mixed. That's a white, white school. school. Yeah, right. facts. Um, and I don't think there was one non-white adult. <laughs> so that's why I say white The epitome of white school. A white school, <laughs> right. yes. yeah. Um, and so those two moments um, were, like, that That part of my life were just very difficult. Um, and so fast forward a little bit when I go to undergrad, um, and again, I always wanted to be a teacher. Right. Um, 
but I was sharing with you earlier, I went to work in Toledo um, and do a lot of student shadowing uh, teachers in Toledo. And I was in a very, um, you know, impoverished area. And I had that same thought and reflection of like, oh my goodness, like this was how I felt. Like this was the going from my school to the white school and then back. Mm-hmm. Like just the inequity, like the, it's just not the same. Um, and so I think that school in Toledo combined with like what was planted during that part of my life just really uh, showed me that like, oh, okay, like it's work to be done. Like there are a lot of black kids who don't even get a chance. Like um, I remember how hearing my teachers talk about me and then hearing my professors talk about those students. Like it was just like, oh my goodness, like it was a lot of y'all. Like this is crazy. Um, This is crazy. And so um, another thing was when we had to renew. So second semester, we had to pick another school to go to. And I asked if I can go back to Toledo. And then she said, I remember my, I will never forget her saying like, oh, you don't have to go there twice. <laughs> like they were some, like it was some type of like, no, we just put them, just, you know, check that off your list. Like, you don't, mm. you don't have to go back there. Like, mm. um, mm. you know, or when I started working at the school that I'm at now, it's like, um, you know, why do you work there? And you should go to like a Beachwood or your talent should be at, you know, a, um, the Cleveland Heights. Or, and it's just so disgusting. They don't, they don't like, even realize what they're saying. No, <laughs> no. And I was, I heard that my freshman year. I heard that my freshman year of undergrad. And then that's when I realized like, oh no, I'm about to teach black kids on purpose because yep. they need good teachers too. Yep. Like yep. how do we ever expect to get out of this if you keep telling a Solid teachers, like, oh no, don't go there. Right. And I had, and what's so crazy is, and I want people to know too, is not just white people who embody that. A black male professor told me I was too good to work in EC. Inter- internalized oppression. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And he's a professor, so imagine what that unconscious bias—how he was just spewing that <laughs> in every lesson he taught. Right. If he's looking at me saying I'm too good to go to to, to work there. I'm not too good for any, like, too good for what? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, so when did, when did it become, like, clear to you that, you know, all right, you're going to be a teacher, but you want to work and be intentional about working with, with black students and, you know, black people and, like, serving in that way? When did that become clear? Um, I was just, I was a teaching assistant. I won't say the school, <laughs> um, but I was a teaching assistant for a white teacher who actually taught the gifted class. Mm. I used to think that that's what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. um, teach the gifted black kids. Like, that was my thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, which is also like a, that's also a whole nother, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, you yeah, know what, no, I'll stick yeah, to the point. Yeah, no, I'm with you, um, I'm with you. And so I was in, working in her classroom, and um, I just saw how she taught them um, in a way that was so disgusting, mm. like, um, like, I remember one of her tactics was she would, like, put them in a corner. She would literally say, like, go to the corner and make them, like, put their face in the corner of the wall. And I remember thinking, like, wait, nobody else thinks it's weird? <laughs> like, this is... But they cared so much about, like, controlling black kids yep. as opposed to, like, pouring into them. And I realized, like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, I can't... I can't just I just can't work in a classroom because it's the classroom next door doing shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like what are you really teaching them? Like what is putting them in the corner meant to do besides um ridicule them or dehumanize them? Like you I tell my dog to go to the cage, right. not a human, you right. know? Right. And essentially that's what she was saying, go to the corner, like go mm-hmm. to your cage. Mm-hmm. And um 
working with her like day in and day out. Um, and then, and then when I went to the principal to share my complaints, who was uh, also a, a black woman, the way she, they ain't making no noise. She has control type of <laughs> a bigger fish to fry type of way she went about it was also sad. And what made me realize like I really have work to do because for very few people realize how bad it is, but a large group of that small number thinks it's only white teachers. And it is not only white teachers that are doing a disservice to these black kids. And that is why I said, oh, no, 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 no. You know, I have to, I want to bring light to this. Um, And then it it went from me trying to bring light to it to then me realizing, like, oh, I can actually change it. Like, um, I am going to change it. And so... God been setting me up to change it ever since. Yeah, yeah, man, it's it's so real what you're speaking about because you know that's the that's the, the systemic problem within mm-hmm. within the school system. Yeah. Um, like I would tell, like when I was doing when I was doing my work and I was working in in the school, um, and I would tell people like what a day to day of my job looked like, and I would tell people you know the stuff that the students would experience, and when you try to communicate maybe a sliver of that, you know, still protecting your kids' confidentiality mm-hmm. with some of your, you know, um, the people that you, you, you're you working with yeah. and things like that, them people don't don't understand. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of times, man, you would have black people in positions of power that would go right along with the system. Yes. And what I had to learn up to about that, because I would get pissed at that, like, like, how are you not understanding mm-hmm. what this is? <laughs> mm-hmm. But I had to learn and empathize with them and understanding that, wait a minute, they are um, they are assimilating within this system as well and just trying to survive and doing the best they can yeah. with it at the same time. And they had no idea a lot of times. A lot of times... Mm-hmm. And they're scared. When you when you when you talk about when you talk about your livelihood and you talking about, you know, your paycheck, you talking about just, you know, keeping your bills paid mm-hmm. and taking mm-hmm. care of your mm-hmm. family. Man, that's the tunnel vision that people see. You know, right. people got their own problems type, type exactly. of thing. Exactly. And, it, and it's so easy to, like, think of life that way. Yeah. And you just kind of disregard, you know. What's really going on. But, you, but the thing about it is that people have this, like, this blind ignorance to the fact that people in schools do that. Yeah. And a lot of times people <laughs> in school do, do that the worst. Oh, yes. You, you, oh, you, yes. You know what Absolutely. I'm saying? And, and it's sad because a lot of the black community looks to the school similar to how they look to the church. Mm. Like, um, rights. The school is right. The student, whatever the teacher is saying, you know, it's the teacher. Um, at least that's how it was for a long time. It's mm. starting to change with this new generation of parents, I'll say. But mm. a lot of the times, though, I, I say all that to say, when you look at, like, special education and the amount of black and brown kids that are just <laughs> labeled immediately, it's like, the parents or the families don't even know that the teachers too are biased and skewed. So like they take everything they say for like Bible, like, okay, so you got to learn disability. You got to learn disability. You dyslexic, you dyslexic, not even realizing that like this, these are human beings also. (laughs) And like all, every human being has a bias. And until these schools start making teachers look at that, especially the ones that are servicing outside of their community, we're just going to always have these problems. Yeah, until we yeah, until we have some cultural competency within within, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. checking these biases. 
You're going to constantly have schools that's going to be overpopulated by majority white women teachers, mm-hmm. white, white administrators, mm-hmm. servicing these black kids mm-hmm. who don't share any type of cultural similarities, you know what I'm saying, with, nah. with, with these students, you know what I'm saying? So that's just mm-hmm. that's just the real, you know what yeah. I'm saying, about it. Uh, listen, I got I got two questions. Okay. Number one, explain what a charter school is, okay. right? Because people have no idea for mm-hmm. real what what, char- what charter schools are. And two, tell me why specifically like working in the charter school is important to you and, and why it should be important for, for all of us. Okay. So I'll try to make it like quick and as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. So a public school, um, a public school, well, let me go charter first. A charter school is funded by the government and other, it's more of like a business. Correct. The public realm. It's not more like it is. It is, yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Charter school is a business. The public school realm is more of, it has um, a union. It has a board. It has, and it, 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 it just operates more so, um, it's, it's different. Like, they are looking at test scores, and you look at your report card, and charter school is looking more at, like, numbers, and how many students do you have, how much, what is their income? It's, it's a, it's a, um, almost like an equation. Uh, the charter realm is a business. And so when I look a little more specifically about what really matters, the difference is that public school teachers are hardly ever touched by their administrators. Like public school teachers, you get the job. When you get the job, you have the job. You work in your classroom. You might get evaluated twice. So you might have a principal come in and see what you're doing twice a year. And you're really left alone. So you're really, it's up to you. And you can teach those kids however you want because you get checked on literally twice. But then if you look at the charter realm, those teachers are observed twice a week. Every week, I'm observing teachers twice a week, every single week, because I need to make sure that what they're feeding these kids um, is what it should be. And so there's a difference in how teachers are coached um, when it comes to public and charter. And so what I like about the charter school is that um, you have a little bit more control or hands in the classrooms mm. than the public school does. Um, and you know, even more importantly, I have a lot more hands on those students. Like, I know them all by name. I talk to them all every single day. Like, the students are still the center of my work. Public school administrators, they're now looking at more, they're looking at the numbers, like more logistically, um, bigger picture things, as opposed to a dean of a charter school. It's just a lot more coaching and hands-on. So, um, I can't speak too, too much of the public realm because I've only ever been a teaching assistant in that realm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the amount of support that teachers got in the charter, too. So it's really like a preference. Um, I would never, as an educator, say one is better than the other because they're all teaching kids. So go in and get in wherever you fit in and whatever feels best to you. It's not a better or worse. It's just a, like, what level of support do you want? Yeah. Did you have um, misconceptions about the charter school prior to going into it and what you learned about them now? Yes. Well, I would say I didn't have enough background because what they were saying was true. There's a lot more behaviors. They're usually in impoverished areas, low-income areas, the hood. (laughs) Um, The behaviors are usually out of control. The teachers turn around time is quick. Um, So these are all like true, 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 true. But uh, I don't mind it. I like the challenge. Man, personally. some of my some of, when I was working in the school, some of my like most fun times was working in the charter school. Mm-hmm. But some of my most stressful time was, was working, working in the charter, charter school. school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. a lot of ninety percent of the time, it wasn't due to the kids. It was due to um, number one being that teacher turnover rate was crazy. Mm-hmm. Teachers would be there for maybe 
couple months and then they gone. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They mm-hmm. would. I mean, I'm talking about mm-hmm. gone left, left, left and right. You know, in and yeah. out the door, almost to the point where the, te- the students is like. Man, we gonna have a new yeah. one of you in a minute. <laughs> yeah. We ain't even tripping. Matter of fact, we mm-hmm. about to get you out of here real quick. Yeah, and you know, and, and, and see what happened. But when you said that charter schools are a business, like I don't think people really understand what that really means. Like you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a lot of money. Like charters, and I can't speak for all because I like mine. <laughs> um, but the so o- it's but hard. The but the overall system. Yeah. system yeah. The kids aren't kids; they're just numbers yeah. and they're percentage points. And yeah. They're they're just they're just data points, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, a lot of that is because you are heavily funded by how you perform. Right. And so, unlike the public schools where they're funded by taxes and they're going to get their money regardless, but like, or well, not regardless, but based on that that area. But like charters, it is based on how you perform. That's how you get your money. Yeah. Um, how many students you have, how well they do on tests, how often they come to school, like. Check, check, check. Those are, you know, so that's how they stay afloat. So when you have that type of pressure, the only thing that the they care about is how they're performing. Now you don't look at them as humans. You look at them as little things that you have to get to perform to get your money to stay open. So it's a hard cycle to kind of just kind of get wound up in. Yeah, because the school system is already designed not to really, um, it's designed to already not like be empathetic and to be mindful of like, outside experiences right. but when you throw them test scores and money on top of it mm-hmm. we really throwing that to the side which is like yeah. nah let's just feed feed you this so we can yeah. get this data to represent what we need to to keep this thing rolling exactly and because you know with public schools you have a school district that you're a part of yep. you're a part of a bigger picture like a structure so everything is like feeding into each other so of course they care about the elementary school because those kids become their middle schoolers and right. those kids become their high school but for charter it's just like you it is your charter you don't necessarily have a high school that you flow into um it is just a k through eight building and you're really on your own so it takes a lot of work to build the community to build a camaraderie because it's not necessarily a um area school it is yeah. a charter yeah, yeah. And, and and one thing about charter schools too is that you know it's it's like it's transient so like mm-hmm. even a lot of your um your students may not even be there that long Mm-mm. you know what i'm saying you got yeah. people coming coming in and out, in so, and it's, out. so it's really hard to kind of build the community yes. within 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 those char- charter schools as well mm-hmm. um how has it been for you working these last two years in the pandemic like the virtual teaching, the virtual learning, because again, man, we talk about educating our kids mm-hmm. and we talk about educating kids, you know, who dealing with severe trauma. Yes. And you talking about kids who already have, you know, um, some struggles um, learning, you know, a- as it is. You talk about a pandemic and then you got to learn virtually on top of that. Mm-hmm. Man, I know a whole bunch of teachers that was like, man. Fuck this. We gon' we gon' are you here today? Did you brush right, your teeth? You right, cool? Yeah, I'm just glad yes, to see you. You know yes, what I'm saying? So how has yeah. that how has that been for you? Um, you know, it was very eye opening for me. Mm-hmm. Um I did enjoy it. Um I liked teaching online. It was fun. It just you didn't you just had to be a little bit more innovative and so you had to be a little bit more creative with that. So like that was enjoyable for me. Um but the honest, raw truth of it was um it was tough because our kids didn't have internet, mm. let alone a laptop. 
Then there was that. <laughs> so yeah. we had to work through that. Yeah. So then we were able to, okay, we got the grant to get them all Chromebooks, but now they don't have internet. So now we need hotspots. And we finally got them to have the hotspot, but now they internet. I mean, now their lights are off. So the hotspot doesn't really work without electricity. So it's like there were all these just hurdles that we were just constantly working through. Um, and it was interesting because my grandmother, I don't know if I mentioned, my grandma's a teacher. Mm. Um, and she teaches in a very upscale area. Not, we teach night and day. And so to listen to her experience with her students and how they all had iPads and <sighs> nannies were making sure that they were logged on and they're asking you about homework and when are you going to, you know, I, we got none of that. Um, and we actually got to really see into their lives because we were virtual and because we were on camera. I was sitting in everybody's living room. Yep. So I was seeing the background and I was seeing the arguments and I was seeing the bottles. I was seeing the like little stuff that like that doesn't make you a bad human. But like you don't know the slide the bottles out the way because your kid about to hop on with a teacher. You know what I'm saying? Just like little things like that or realizing how many of them is living in one one bedroom home or um, how inconsistent they are. May not even are. have no furniture to sit on. No. <laughs> <laughs> sharing, sharing a big old space with... I'm telling you. Five to ten other people. Yes. You, you know I'm, what I'm telling saying? you. Like, literally, we, you can't... You don't say, go to the kitchen table. Because <laughs> somebody tried to say that, and they didn't have one. Right. <laughs> they don't have a kitchen table. Right. Ain't no... So, ain't no, ain't hum, no watch your mouth. <laughs> Humble yourself. Listen, I was... um. I was working. I was working still in the school system um, for like the first the first year of the pandemic, right? Okay. Um, and I remember a teacher was upset with one of my students um, at the time, and she was like, "I told him to go find like a you know find, go go to his room or you know find a space in in the house to, so you know he can go and be in class." I'm like. That's not how it works. You know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> this this kid doesn't even have access to the you know yeah. that, that that type of stuff right. at, stuff at the Or career. go to his room. Ain't no room. Ain't no room. <laughs> he shared with his mom. Right. right. At their grandma house. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Like, and this is not me being stereotypical. These are like me thinking of humans as I'm saying this. Like yeah. this is real. Or like, yeah. you know, it's not a it's no help with homework. Like it's not it I can remember a teacher similar, like complaining slash joking about her kids. Um, and she's like, uh, I mean, yeah, it's 830 in the morning and they're eating noodles. I mean, come on. And like, so they're laughing about it. Like, Raymond knows that. And I was like, um, that was probably all just in a pantry. <laughs> Facts. Y'all might want to, everything is not them being idiotic or animalistic. Like this is real raw survival. No, no, none of it is. None of it it's, is. It's, it's all, yeah, it's none all of survival. it is. They're not, yeah, they're, it's just, and so when you have no idea of what that life even could remotely look like, then, yeah, you are left to make comments like that or go to your room. How'd that pull on you? Oh, yeah, no. It was, um, I said, that's probably all that's in the pantry. And uh, she was like, you, you think? And I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm telling you. Like, you have to think because they're not at school. We, all, we have free lunch. Free lunch, breakfast, and breakfast is free, lunch is free, and they get take-home bags for the weekend. You do realize that all of that was taken away when we went to the pandemic. So, yeah, boo, he's eating noodles because that milk he was getting from school. And so it was really one of those things where it's like, um, I don't have a problem like saying what needs to be said because I'm not going to be uncomfortable for your racial bias Correct. with my black kids. Correct. So I'm going to go ahead and let you know. Correct. Um, but I also feel I have a, it's my duty to let you know because you also are in charge of 
30 black kids that you teach every day. So I probably should let you know that you shouldn't comment on noodles at 830. Correct. 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 Listen, when I, um, when I was, when I was working, um, during the pandemic and I was trying to, you know, I'm trying to provide services Mm -hmm. with kids one-on-one. I'm trying to do group stuff and it just, it, it's not, it's not, it's not connecting. Mm-hmm. You know, when we doing this type of work, we got to be in front of these right, kids. Like right, I have to right. be able to lay eyes on yeah, you. I got to see, yeah, yeah. you know, your affect. I want to see right. what was really going on. And through the pandemic, especially that early time of the pandemic, it was, it was none of that. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. what I did was because of what you just said, man, the school lunches is taken away. The recess is taken away. The snack yeah, time, all that yeah. is taken away. What I started to do was, um, I would go to the schools early in the morning and get lunches for like 30 to 40 kids and like that would be my that would be my day of work yes. where I would just go drop off like wow. hella bags of lunches yes. and like they would be looking forward to it now oh, I'm sure. after, after a while after a while I could see like I would come back the next day you would still see the leftover mm-hmm. lunches still there mm-hmm. and all of that type of stuff but mm-hmm. man they was looking forward to that stuff and it gave them some level of familiarity to just seeing yeah. like all right Mr. John's still rocking, like you know what I'm saying? Right. We ain't lost complete touch of what's going right, on in the outside right, world. Right, right, right. But man, it's it's the day-to-day stuff that people again have are complete ignorant to, you yeah. know, that, that our that our kids are really, you know, um really experiencing. Listen, mm-hmm. what is what is what do people not really understand about um educating black kids? Um, you know, I think the biggest the biggest miss you can give us a couple. Okay. I know it's deep. I would say um, one thing is, like, you have to respect them. Mm-hmm. It's not a respect you because you are their elders. Right. It's not because you're an adult, they have right. to listen to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't see A lot of adults do a lot of dumbass shit. Right. They're not, that doesn't equal, no. So you have to respect them first um, and remind yourself that these are actual human beings who have a lot of value and a lot to say. And the issue with educating black kids is that we also often want them quiet and in compliance and sitting at a desk and not making no noise and in a straight line and pants pulled up and shirt tucked in and they're not in jail. Yeah. Um, and, and they're unique. Yep. And so the same way that you look at a kid from a Hispanic background and you look at them like a, you know, that they're English language learners and they have a different culture. Our black kids need to be looked at just like those Hispanic kids. Like they come from their own culture. And so you cannot go into this work assuming that they are just like a white kid because they're just not. Like Mm -hmm. the same way that a Chinese child and a Hispanic child are so unique in their culture, black kids are too. And so you know, a lot of times because their cultural differences aren't valued nor respected, they get this label like they're dumb. And so, you know, they'll come to kindergarten or preschool or kindergarten or first grade and they're talking about how, you know, oh, they like this vocabulary or they don't know, you know, they don't know enough words or they can't spell or, but it's like, no, they don't know a lot of English words because that's not their native language. <laughs> they know words, right. but it's not being looked at of value because it's, you know, slang when it's like, no, it's a form of like communicating. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I would just say that when you are working with black students, particularly those that are from the inner city, like from the hood, recognize that you are in foreign land. And so approach it like you would approach going to Italy or France. You are open-minded and you are adaptive and you actually want to mimic their cultures. Like stop going into black classrooms, trying to make them white classrooms. Right. 
They're right. not. Or trying to get them to learn, like, you know, like white students. Mm-hmm. You know, black kids, inherently, we do not learn the same as, as, no. as white students. And that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? That's right. that's perfectly that's that's perfectly fine. So you 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 speaking a lot of real. Listen, I want to go into um you got like some you I love your content. Like, Thank you know you. what I'm saying? Um a lot of the stuff that you're doing is 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 on point. Um I want I want to read some of the some of your posts that you that you posted, okay. and I want you to just kind of expound on them, right? Okay. The first one, which was kind of going hand in hand with what we was talking about right now, was just you know educating the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, and this stood out to me because I was on the teachers about this in the in the middle of the pandemic. Retaining a student in the middle of a pandemic should be out of the question. I refuse to hold back any of my students this year. How can we have the same expectations when circumstances? Are like never before. My students are more than a test score. Mm-hmm. Man, I used to. Man, I was going mm-hmm. back and forth with these <laughs> these teachers. Like, listen, you can't grade this kid on not being at school, not logging in, and like right. not checking in on it. Like, yeah. we are in a pandemic. You know, yeah. this, we've never been. This is uncharted territory. Literally, literally. And so to hold them back, and you know, a big piece of that was because. Um, a lot of, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of my kids didn't have internet or it was spotty or they don't have a home. I think that's also overlooked. Like, they yeah. don't even have a home base. So, they're between cousins and aunties and grand. Yep. You know, they don't have a home. And so, right. to possibly retain them because they didn't log into your irrelevant class in the grand scheme of things consistently for five days in a row is pathetic and disgusting. Yep. And it's like, what are we really doing here? Yep. Like you're going to hold a student back because of the cards he was dealt, essentially. Um, you know, we can't punish him for his parents not getting him to school or his parents not logging him on time. You know, it was just a lot of um, a lot of teachers were holding the students so accountable to make all of these adjustments when it's like they're really just in the trenches too, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And they're getting it the worst. Yeah, they're getting it the worst because you don't know how to teach right now. <laughs> were you able, were you able to have any like flexibility with like you know sharing that type of information in in the charter school since there is a little bit more freedom? Just kind of like how y'all able to move and shift parts within the school? Mm-hmm. Were people able to like retain that information and kind of act on that a little bit more, or was it still? Yeah, I would say I would say the people who I touched at least, yeah. um, we were able to have really honest like conversations and just dialogue around what was really going on. Um, and, you know, people will be complaining like, you know, this this person's never on or they're only on for 30 minutes or, you know, I, I only get them, you know, twice a week for 45 minutes. I'm like, okay, so what you doing when you get them? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what are we doing then? Okay, yeah. so then that means when you do have them, I'm pulling you in a small group and putting them on, you know, some type of, uh, like, you just, you have to, you have to meet them where they're at. That's right. That's right. Listen, I want to read another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, understanding trauma and its impact on students' learning experience is critical when working in urban settings. Mm-hmm. Break that down. So you, you know, we have to be mindful of what they're coming in with every day. Every day you have to, like, check their pulse before you try to educate them because they're people first. Mm-hmm. And so they have a lot, you know. Like, I have, I can think of three right now who I check in, like, intentionally every single morning um, because they all have had lost a parent. Um, you know, and this one in particular is living with a grandparent who also has six other of his cousins and so whose mom got shot in the head when mm. he was at home upstairs with his siblings. Mm. So... 
you have to handle him with different, different gloves than you would me, per se, if I was in his class. Because I didn't go through that traumatic experience. And so there are so many hymns in my building. That's right. Um, and so we have to make sure that we have to educate with that lens. Um, you know, we have to diffuse every, all, like, all, any altercation or any type of tension. We need to diffuse that because, you know, what people may or may not know is that when you've gone through a lot of trauma, your brain naturally operates in this, like, fight or flight. Yep. Um, you know what I mean? You're in a, you, cause you got, am I good? Are we good? Am I good? You know, you're constantly, constantly, constantly. And so when you live in that, um, you, while you might be trying to just simply say, go sit down, in his perspective, you just told him to square up. Right. Because right. everything, he's been under attack all week. Now right. you're telling him to sit down. That was right. his final straw. Right. So as opposed to feeling like, oh my gosh, he's overreacting. No, 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 no. Maybe tell yourself, I'm not even trying to disrespect you. You just have to sit down because I'm trying to teach. Right. Something as simple as that is right. all they need to know. Right. But it's no, having a wherewithal to make those type of statements and not get offended when they kind of come at you in a way that you might not always prefer is vital because, yeah, they're traumatized. And so they have, they have a lens on all the time. And that is, are you with me or against me? Yeah. And so you have to constantly remind a child that I'm with you and right. be willing to do that. Right, right. Why do you, um, you, t- you touched on a little bit about this earlier, you know, it became solidified for you, but like, why the content creation around, around your work? Like, you know what I'm saying? Why is that, you know, why is that purposeful for you? Like, why is that um, important to you? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because it's a, listen, the work, the work that you're doing, the surge providing is heavy and it's real mm-hmm. and it is trying and it, it can easily leave a person with with limited capacity to create, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, like, mm-hmm. why why is that important? Um, you know, like, somebody got to do it. <laughs> um, and also because nobody's doing it. You a trailblazer. Yeah, like, yeah. Pe- nobody wants to talk about this part of, of education. Like, people only want to talk about, um, you know, the aha moments and the beautiful relationships and yeah, the, yeah, yeah. you know the basketball games and the, like people don't people don't want to talk about this part um, and that's the problem and I could have been a I could have been a product of this coming from where I came from no doubt. and so no doubt. Um, it's important yeah and like I said you know especially with Instagram like if you look in if you like hat hashtag the word education or teacher life and scroll through it's a lot of cutesy like. <laughs> Outfits Don't and, get me started. you know, oh my gosh, what I wore today and like flare pins and just real stuff that nobody gives a fuck about. Right, right. When I look at my kids who literally don't have book bags right. on their backs right. or dirty uniforms right. because they don't have a place to lay their head, let alone a washer and dryer. Right. So it was like, um, yeah, it was just like, I want to shine the light in the area that y'all keep just looking past. Yeah. Yeah. What's the, uh, what's, what's the vision for it? Like, what's the... What's the the long term just vision that you just see for the urban educator? Like what what do you what do you see? What do you envision? Um, so God's still making it clear for yeah, me. It's that, like it's puzzle cool. piece. Then I'm that's still cool. missing some pieces. That's cool. That's cool. Um, because in a like in a perfect world, I would travel to different inner city schools and coach teachers on how to properly educate mm. those black kids. That's dope. But <laughs> that takes me away from being in the trenches with my babies. 
So I have to, I'll, if God let me design it, I would be a dean part-time. So I would still do this work in East Cleveland. And then the other part of my time, I would travel to, you know, different areas and just really get down to the work. Um, I also wouldn't mind teaching just like racial bias and equity classes to white teachers because I have no problem having those conversations. Um, so, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm completely done with teaching white people about their racism. I'm, I can't I'm, be I'm done because they're still in the classrooms. But here's that the is, thing. That's, that's where I'm like. But here's the thing, though. That's not our responsibility to teach them about their racism. That's on them. They got to. They have to. <laughs> you're they, right. No, they no, have, no. You're they right. They have to do that. You're correct. You're correct. However, how selfish of me to not correct something that is over 30 black kids right now. Like, even before I became an administrator, I was stepping up. Like, there's a teacher I can think of in particular who was right across the hall from me, who repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly helped and coached in that manner because if I don't do it, then all these biases just continue to educate our kids. So it's like... It's not everybody's responsibility, but if God put that on you, then it's like, yeah, I'm going to speak up. True. Because it's too many schools who are just infested with racism. And it's just polished racism, upscale, you know what I'm saying? So you don't really see it right away because it's not the N-word, but it's everything but. And so if if I'm at that table, I'm speaking on it, whether it's my job or not but that's just no that's no, that's no, just no. like my purpose no that's you know good. what i'm saying that, that, that's good because you listen i'd rather have people like you in those buildings mm-hmm. as opposed to people who was in those buildings and afraid to say something right especially when it comes to racism man you gotta call it what it is yeah you know what i'm saying you yes. have to you have to be fearless in that you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and like advocating for that mm-hmm. but yeah i just i i got i got i got no but i understand it because it was when you're doing it every day, yeah. all day, yes, and you know you're doing it at a bunch of different angles, you know it, it can be get trying. But like I said, yeah. I had, to, I knew for, I knew for me that it was slowly becoming like you know um, detrimental to my yeah, to and my it really depends health. on your environment too. For sure. Like luckily, I teach in a school where the our staff matches our population, and so I'm not fighting as often those type of battles. So I'm not worn out. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, um we have a lot of black teachers. Yeah. Um, and I'm proud of that. Well, listen, this has been wonderful. Yes, it has. I appreciate you coming on. You know, I, yes. I, I thank you for your service. Thank um, you. Because it is it, it it is a service, but we need people like yourself who are um, who are encouraged and inspired, who do it from a real place. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And you really want to be in it, like you know yeah. what I'm saying, like. I see, you know, we see it all the time, man, where people are only in it for a time period. They doing it for a stepping stone or something else. And, yeah. you know, they not even present in it. Right. We need people who are present and young and vibrant and, you know, who get it. Yeah. You know, so I, I I commend you. I'm very glad that your husband connected us, you know. Yes, this is, thank you. know, you. Th- this has been dope. Mm-hmm. Um, before I get you out of here, um, I want to hit you with a few rapid questions. Okay. Um, but before we get into the rapid questions, I want you to pull one of these intention cards. Okay. And I want you to read the value that's on the right-hand side. Anyone, cut the deck, do it, do okay. do your thing. <laughs> I'm going to just read right here. Yep. Right? So read read the first one. Read read what it says and then read read the definition. Okay. Um, it says, tell your story. Mm-hmm. Share you with the world. Your purpose reside. Your purpose resides there. We need to hear from you, see you, and experience you and your truth. Live in your truth. Let it lead you and guide you. 
Don't let lies rule you or dim your light. There's value in you and your story. Why is that important? You know, I would say um, there's two things that are really sticking out. The um, it's experience you and your truth, and there's value in you and your story. Um, and I think that's important because a lot of hope lives in those sentences. Um, especially there's value in you and your story. Um, when I think about like the work that I do and the kids that I do, they don't think they're worth anything. You know, they don't think it's sad. They don't see that there's value in this struggle right now. It's beauty in the struggle, baby. It is. And, and it really is. Like sometimes when you're in a struggle, it's like, ain't no value in this. But it's like, I need people to know that like, no, 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 there, there truly is. And um, I think that I was lost in this mm -hmm. type of, you know, concept. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't until my first year in East Cleveland that something very traumatic that happened to me in my childhood, I literally was able to say, oh, that's why that happened to me. Because I was able to tell her exactly what she needed in that moment. So I think, yeah, if anything, there's value in you and your story just tells you to, like, keep good. on keeping on. Good, good, good for you. Um, what's your purpose and how is that connected to what you're doing today? Um, I think my purpose is to serve, and it's connected because I serve my black kids every day. I serve my daughter. I serve my husband. I'm a, I'm a yeah, God put me on this earth to serve. Yeah, fire, fire. That, that's hard. What's something about you that people be surprised to know? Um, I like trap music. <laughs> <laughs> I that's love not Dirk. That, that's a, People be surprised? Yeah, people be surprised when I'm singing along to King Vine. Oh, okay, I okay. listen to him on the way. I'm not gonna lie. Okay, to you. all right, all right. That's 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 a bet. That's a bet. Um, what's the question you ask yourself the most? Why? Like, what are you doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing right now? Like, sometimes I have to recalibrate myself. Like, what are you feeling right now? Okay. What are we doing right now? All right. Mm -hmm. Um, what scares you? Failure. That's a that's a that's a. A typical answer that people, mm -hmm. you know, typically give. Um, what's your favorite quote? Hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. Do I have a favorite quote? Um, I don't know. That's hard. Um, I don't know. Can I skip? <laughs> Can yeah, we go skip back? That? Yeah, you can okay. skip that. That's cool. Um, what's the best advice you ever received? Uh, what's for you is for you, and what leaves you was never for you. Okay. And on the flip side, what's the worst advice you ever received? You're not ready. <laughs> okay. What's one thing that you know to be true? God. Say that. Say that. If you could give everyone one practice or habit, what would it be? Be honest with yourself. Okay. Is that a practice? Yeah, you got to tap yeah. in often. Yeah, honesty, honesty is good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, honesty, yeah. honesty is honesty is very good. That's a habit. Like check in with yourself. Like I'm, yeah, like showers, check ins, wherever car check ins, wherever you solo. Solitude is power. So, definitely. Listen, Jasmine, this has been terrific. I genuinely appreciate you coming on, sharing your story. Yes, you know, sharing you sharing strategies me. that people can really use. You know, mm -hmm. um, I want to continue to see you flourish and see you grow. Again, I love your content. I really, really, really appreciate the, your work and your service you're doing.
continue to be encouraged because we need it. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So I, 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 I commend you and I, and I, I salute you for sure. Um, give everybody your social media tags where they can find you, all that good stuff, you know, where, where some resources and things like that they can find you. Give them all that information. Okay. Um, so, yeah, thank you again for having me. Um, again, my name is Jasmine Williams. Um, you can check me on Instagram, um, the Urban Educator with two R's. Um, also, I sell a lot of content on Teachers Pay Teachers. Um, so, uh, Black History Month, we have a lot up there. Um, I have a lot of also things for, um, I also have a lot of things, excuse me, for um, leadership, like those people who are in administration. Um, and yeah, if I'm talking about anything, it's just advocacy, wellness, and, you know, trying to bring the light to these black and brown kids. So, um, thank you for having me. No Seriously, um, it's been wonderful. Um, and good luck to you and your podcast Thank and just you. the baby, every, all the blessings that you have coming. I ain't looking forward to this shoe this yes, night again. Yes, yes, yes. I'm not looking forward Buckle to it. Yeah, yeah. They don't, they don't, my next episode, I'm going to talk to some more dads, man, about, yeah. you know, they don't, they don't tell dads about. That would be about, dope. They don't tell yeah. dads about the pressures that come with this fatherhood thing, especially when you got a toddler, you got another one coming. Yeah, yeah. Ah! and don't forget about your wife now. That's what I'm saying. That's, this, this is what I'm saying, man. These are, these are the things that we don't talk about. Yeah, right. I'm going to, I'm I'm going to recruit some dads and we're going to have this conversation <laughs> on here for sure, man. But listen, man, another episode, man. Thank you so much again for coming. Um, LYP, baby, I appreciate the community that we building. And one thing for certain, two things for sure, is beauty in the struggle, my nigga. Love yours. Motherfucker, love you dearly. Always gonna be a whip that's better than the one you got. Always gonna be some clothes that's fresher than the ones you rock. Always gonna be a bitch that's better out there on the tours. But you ain't never gonna be happy till you love yours. Such thing is a life that's better than yours. Love yours. Such thing is a life that's better than yours. Love yours.